Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Miguel, do you think that your friend would talk to us? Yeah. Uh, dicen que si te pudieran hacer unas, unas, una, unas preguntas... We're in Miguel Angel's car, and we're going up into the mountains outside of Cuyacan. It's very hard to get up there, so first we decide to give a ride to my friend's son. He's going to spend the weekend with his family in Tamiapa. His family didn't want to be identified, so we call him Alberto. We were mostly just shooting the shit, talking about American music. This kid, Alberto, isn't a fan. Do you like American music? Muy <laughs> poco. And then... He starts telling us about this military operation that happened in Tamiapa and the villages nearby. You were saying that recently there was activity with the the military. What what's up with that? What's going on? Comenzó cuando caen una una serie de helicópteros y también por tierra. Says it all began when military helicopters and convoys of marines rolled into the town. Soldiers beat people up and even disappeared them. He tells us that the military showed up because they were looking for Rafael Caro Quintero. We've talked about him before. He's that big drug trafficker who was arrested back in the 80s for killing the DEA agent Kiki Camarena. Caro Quintero was also a co-founder of the Guadalajara cartel, which was the first cartel in Mexico and also where Chapo got his start. In 2013, Caro Quintero gets out of prison on a technicality. Rafael Caro Quintero apparently walked out of a Mexican prison a free man in the middle of the night with no cameras present. A Mexican court rules he'd been tried in the wrong court back in 1985. So all of a sudden, he's back on the street. The release caught U.S. officials by surprise. They heard about it from the Mexican media. The American government is pissed because Caro Quintero is supposed to be serving a 40-year sentence. How could this drug lord be released from prison without the United States knowing? We are extremely disappointed, and, and more than that, we are angry, we are mad, this is personal. Many people, including top officials in Mexico, believe Caro Quintero bribed his way out of prison. Mexico's attorney general called the decision to release him 12 years early, quote, absurd and illogical. The Mexican government starts hunting for Caro Quintero, but he's clever and he has a lot of support in La Sierra. He's managed to stay on the run for years. Episode 5, The Fugitive. 
Ricardo Quintero's been on the run for about five years. And to keep attention on his case, this past April, the U.S. put him on its most wanted list. So now the FBI is offering a $20 million reward for information that leads to his capture. So now the Mexican military really wants to get him back into custody. And the Mexican Marines, the same guys that captured El Chapo, are hunting him down in Tamiapa. They believe he's hiding somewhere in La Sierra. Alberto is saying that the military did this intense operation just a few weeks ago, that the Marines came in dressed like civilians to surprise people, that they took many people into custody, burned some cars, cut off phone and internet service. Apparently, this was all part of the effort to keep Caro Quintero from escaping. But it affected everyone who lives up here, not just narcos. Alberto says the military was taking all sorts of people into custody. We ask him whether he can verify that a 16-year-old boy was picked up in Tamiapa, and he says, yes, it happened on Mother's Day. The military went to the house of someone they say was working with Caro Quintero, and when they didn't find the guy they were looking for, they took his son. They also beat the kid up trying to get information. Yeah, where is, where, where is this kid now? He doesn't, he doesn't This is a little detour. And we're in the little town? Yeah, we're in the, the town where our friend who we're giving a ride to is from. Um, you know, it's a little village. Uh, we have some some stores. There's ATVs parked everywhere, and the the it's like a cobblestone street uh, that you can only yeah. go about five miles an hour on. The ATVs replace the horses. <laughs> we drop Miguel's friend off at his parents' place and keep driving. <laughs> this area up in the mountains isn't far from Chapo's hometown. We're basically right in the center of the Golden Triangle. It's one of the poorest regions in Sinaloa, and it's also extremely remote. A lot of people here grow poppies and marijuana to make a living. The whole reason we decided to come here in the first place was to meet some of these farmers, the people who are basically at the very bottom of the supply chain. It's been like this for generations. There are no other jobs. Well, they do grow other crops, but if you want to have a decent life here, your only option is to grow poppy. I've known these people for a long time, and they're not like cartel people. Because they grow poppy, they ask us not to use their names. We meet on the front patio of a house with a flower garden and views of the surrounding mountaintops, where the farmers say their crops are hidden. The farmers look maybe mid-40s. One who seems a bit older has on a baseball cap and a white button down. The younger-looking guy is wearing all black and aviator sunglasses. They both have these walkie-talkies on their hips that are constantly going off. Yeah, that's the only way people communicate here. They say they've been struggling lately. They say marijuana stopped being profitable about two years ago, so they switched to poppy. But this year, even poppy isn't earning money. They tell us it's like a company died. There's no money, no economy. 
no nothing. Four or five years ago, they could sell a kilo of wheat for 1,200 pesos. That's about $65. After weed started to become legal in the U.S., the crops were suddenly worthless. They say a year ago, they let a bunch of marijuana plants die because they couldn't sell them. With the opioid crisis, demand for heroin was rising in the U.S., so poppy had been lucrative. But over the last year, they're saying that actually the price of poppy gum has fallen. A kilo used to sell for about 35,000 pesos. So like 1,800 bucks. More or less. Now it's down to 10,000 pesos, about 500 U.S. For these guys with families, that's a huge loss. It seems to be because the cartels started making synthetic opioids like fentanyl. Fentanyl is more powerful than heroin, and it's cheap to make. He says people in La Sierra are not interested in growing drugs anymore. They want projects that will create jobs, something safer for them. About a year ago, there was some help from the government to get them to grow avocados instead of poppy, but they say it didn't get enough support. They needed help to dig a well, get more water up to the fields, and all those avocado plants died. Which means they'll go back to poppy or weed. I mean, there are going to be people, this is not my personal view, to be clear, but there are going to be people in the United States who will hear this and say, poppy farmers are, are out of work now, why should I care? They're the ones who were supplying what was causing addiction in our country. What do you say to, to people who might think that when they hear about the, the problems that they're having? He says, we don't care what other people think. We do it to earn money, and that's how we live. And no one is forcing you to use the drug. We grow poppy because we are in need. That's why we do it. Are we going back to our friend's house? Yes, we are. When we dropped off Alberto earlier, his family said to come by later for lunch. Can you open up the gate, please? So we head back to see them. And we sit down with the whole family at the kitchen table. The family is all musicians, so at first we talk about the gigs they had booked and the upcoming election in Mexico. But the conversation keeps coming back to that military operation with the Marines that Alberto mentioned in the car. Everyone still seems really shaken up. They say it was a normal day when the Marines came in. Suddenly, there were drones flying day and night. The kids were scared to go to school or go outside, and everyone had to carry the IDs, which isn't normal. The son says that sometimes the Marines would take people's money when they got out their wallets to show their ID. And everything was so crazy. So in the middle of all this, this kid from Tamiapa was taken. He's the boy Alberto mentioned before. They basically told us the same story. Which is that the Marines were looking for his father because they thought he could have information about the big narco they're looking for, Caro Quintero. Right. 
from what we heard, the Marines took this kid in front of a lot of people and they created all this anger in the community. She says the whole town was united, that they had the strength in numbers, but that the Marines threatened them, saying they would kill them all. But they didn't believe them. How could they kill so many people? They told the Marines were not leaving until they released the boy. I look into this further after we leave Tamayapa. I did find one article in a local newspaper describing the operation. It says the Marines arrived at around 11 in the morning with a helicopter. They were accused of entering the family's house without a search warrant and hitting the boy's 10-year-old sister. Some people in town called me that night and said the Marines took this kid. They also called a human rights lawyer in Culiacan and told them what was happening. We also called that lawyer, and he told us he'd received reports about a boy being detained, but nobody followed up because the kid was released. They say that the boy was all freaked out when he came back, and that now the town feels like it's been humiliated by the government. And they can't trust them anymore. The father says the Mexican government always do what the U.S. want, that the Marines are controlled by the U.S. and that Mexico has always been like a puppet. These people are still really upset. They're even talking about forming their own self-defense groups, like the ones in Michoacan and in other parts of Mexico where the locals take up arms and defend themselves. We hope we don't have to, that things are happening that shouldn't be. I mean, you harass a little animal enough, what is it going to do? It's going to defend itself. It's not hard to see why they wouldn't trust the government. I mean, when it comes to La Sierra, it's often the drug lords like El Chapo and Carl Quintero who actually help people. It's pretty clear who they're loyal to. One of the kids is literally wearing a baseball cap with Caro Quintero's face on it. And then, while we're all sitting around the family's front porch after lunch, that kid picks up his guitar and plays a song about him. there, it was late June, we weren't able to get all the details about what had happened with this kid in the military. And we didn't have enough time to stick around any longer. After I went back to Mexico City, I was trying to call this family to get more info, but no one was answering. It was kind of weird, and it really worried me. I knew things were bad, like a guy was found dead on the road like a month after we were there. And it sounded like maybe he'd been killed by the Sinaloa cartel. I also found some news reports about the government busting a big heroin lab in Tamiapa. This town is clearly having a hard time. Like, they can't trust the government, and the cartel helps them, but it can also turn on them. Yeah, the situation is not good. 
And then no one was answering their phones, so I just decided to drive up there for a day to find out what was happening. And that's when I called you. Here we go. Hey, Kigong, what's up? How you doing? Good. Get back from Tamiab. And I uh, stopped with this family that I know, and we went uh, trying to see if this kid was first he was, if he was home and then if he was available. He, if he so was I went to, to the house of the kid who had been taken by the Marines. It was right in town, a very humble house. I knocked on the door and a woman came out. It was his mother. She told me that her son wouldn't talk to me. But you think he was inside? I believe he was in the house. I mean, it was school vacation and the mom told me that he was so scared of the Marines. They, they had beat him up and threatened him. He, he was threatened. He was threatened by the Marines. He was told that if he speaks to anyone uh, about what happened to him, about what the Marines did to him, uh, they, they will come back and they will kill him and they will kill uh, his family. She said that when the Marines released her son, they told him not to tell anyone about what happened. Wow. So they, they, the Marines came to the house looking for the dad. Dad's gone and they detained the kid and dead. Right. They took him away, basically, and they they put, like, a bag in his head, cover to cover his head, so he didn't know where he was. And he was, he started to uh, to be questioned by the Marines and tortured, like, you know, you know where Rafael Carquintero is, you have to tell us, otherwise we're going to kill you. And how how long total do we think this kid was, was held by the Marines for before he was released? Like, uh, 10 hours. 10 hours. Okay. That whole conversation was outside. The lady didn't even let me into the house, so it was clear to me how scary the kid was, and she certainly wouldn't let me record anything. Do we know why they came to her house to begin with? Well, the Marines seems to think this family knew where Caracintero was. It might have been a mistaken identity because this family's last name was Caro, so they might be related somehow. Do you know how many Caros are in this area? I followed up on something else that the locals had said, that there had been agents with the Marines who didn't speak Spanish. They thought they were Americans with the DEA or from Interpol. It's not surprising that they are suspicious that U.S. has agreed to spend more than $2 billion in military aid to Mexico to fight the drug war. The DEA works closely with the Mexican Marines to hunt fugitives like El Chapo and Caro Quintero. But both agencies denied that they'd been in Tamiapa when we contacted them. We also reached out to the Mexican military and sent a detailed list of all the allegations the people in town had made. I know they got my request. But they never responded. There have also been reports from other parts of Mexico about human rights abuses by the Marines. Just a couple months ago in Tamaulipas, just across the border from Texas, the Marines were accused of disappearing 28 people. The government says it's investigating. What do you think would have happened if, if nobody had raised that fuss? Who knows? Only God knows. But there are many, many recorded cases in which uh, uh, not just uh, uh, men, but women has been disappeared.
next time, we talk to one of the agents who led the hunt for El Chapo. Marines were standing around and they were just starting to stand up a guy with no shirt. And at this time, I'm wearing Chapo's black baseball cap that I had taken from his, his safe house and, uh, and a black ski mask. And I run right up to him, jump into his face and yell the first thing that comes to my mind, which is, what's up, Chapo? 